welcome, Ron. Thanks for coming to campus on this cold, snowy afternoon. Definitely. And um, I been thinking about the conversations we've had in uh, in the past and uh, both about Japan and mm. about um, the beauty of writing implements of good mm. writing implements which I see you brought some That's right. um, so <laughs> um, and I, I thought this would be a wonderful opportunity to pick your brain about one of the great books that we read on the Eastern Classics program, um, The Pillar Book of Seishonagon. Mm. Um, there's an aspect of it that I'd like to ask you about and get a better understanding of. Mm. But um, before I go there, um, maybe I should say something about the book to fill, fill in the audience on a book that they might not, not have read or know about. Mm. Uh, and, and so tell me, tell me if I'm getting this right. So the Pillow Book of Seishonagon was written by a 10th century Japanese woman in the Heian court. 10th century. So we think about this, about the time of Anselm, mm. right? So uh, Europe was in, emerging from the Dark Ages. Um, and so there's this high, sophisticated courtly culture in mm. Japan at the time that uh, is full of beautiful and subtle things, paintings, the the fabrics uh, and above all the literature you know so so from from that age uh, the two books that everyone now still reads well not everyone but um people who can appreciate things still read uh, it's the tale of genji mm -hmm. by lady murasaki mm -hmm. which is a massive book uh, 1400 pages in english translation one of the great classics of the world mm. And uh, and this book, right. Pillar Book of Seishonagon, which is not a thousand four hundred pages, mm. but uh, it's a smaller thing. It's a uh, Seishonagon was a court lady, a, co mm. uh, um, a contemporary of Lady Murasaki, mm. who wrote the Tale of Genji. They um, they knew each other. In fact, they loathed each other <laughs> because there are some ways they were opposites in sensibility. Sure. Um, and um, she wrote in Japanese, like Lady Murasaki. Mm. Uh, the men of the time wrote in Chinese, mm. in classical Chinese. Mm. And so this was the time when Japanese literature took off as Japanese literature, right? So you had uh, women who were writing with no prior tradition mm. and, and coming out with works that were utterly original, mm. right? And so the Pillow Book of Seishonagon reads something like a journal mm. uh, or an imitation of a journal, mm. right? And, uh, and so it's full of daily things. Um, lists of things she likes, lists mm. of things she doesn't like, mm. uh, little incidents, uh, anecdotes, um, sometimes uh, poetry contests, mm. you know. Um, mm. It's fragmented, right? So one can jump in any time and there's mm -hmm. no narrative structure, which is one of its uh, appeals. Mm. Um, what else do I have to say? What, what, what am I missing? It's also gorgeous, Gorgeous. Other than that, I couldn't have said that any better. Yeah, it's supposed to, it's 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 uh, one of the most beautiful examples mm. of Japanese style, mm. isn't it? Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, would so agree. Uh, so it's exquisitely written. It's mm. lucid. Mm. Um, the uh, uh, translators have a hard time coming up with That's right. uh, renditions that are elegant enough. That's right. Um, incisive enough. Right. That's right. Um, That's right. So uh, the book can be very beautiful. Mm. It can be. Very funny, right. quirky, can, you know? quirky, quirky. Yeah. It can it can hit on sadness. It's true, right? So, um, so what I'd like to ask about mm. is, uh, and I'll I'll just open this to um, paragraph two fifty eight, and 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 I'm reading as as you are from the uh, Meredith McKinney translation mm -hmm. in Penguin Classics, which is the most recent fine tr translation. Um, so this is Seishonagon talking about um, receiving a gift from Her Majesty, mm -hmm. the Empress, mm -hmm. uh, about whom we can talk later. But there's a very sort of intimate relation between uh, Seishonagon That's and right. the Empress. Right, so she says, I was talking with some people in Her Majesty's presence, or it may have been something I said as a result of her own words. Mm. And I remarked, at times... Yeah. When I'm beside myself with exasperation at everything and temporarily inclined to feel I'd simply be better off dead or I'm longing to just go away somewhere, anywhere, then if I happened to come by some lovely white paper for everyday use and a good writing brush or white decorated paper or Michinoku paper, I'm immensely cheered mm. and find myself thinking I might perhaps be able to go on living for a while longer after all. And when I unroll a section of fresh green korai matting, 
thick and finely woven, and with the edging design in vivid black and white. I'm overcome with the feeling that life itself is just too wonderful, and I really couldn't bear to relinquish it just yet. The simplest trifles console you, don't they? Remarked Her Majesty with a smile. It must have been a very different sort of person who gazed at the moon above sad Obasute Mountain. The others who were present also teased me with such comments as, you've certainly come up with an incredibly easy version of a magical formula for averting trouble. Right, and then not long after this, when I'd gone back home and was in great distress, Her Majesty sent me a wrapped gift of 20 bundles of magnificent paper. And it goes on in this vein, um, where, where you see somebody who's, uh, who's somewhat prone to moody ups and downs, mm. right? She's, she's a bit of a depressive, a melancholiac at times, but it's very striking that this, this good paper, good mm. brush, this special paper, good matting, like this, uh, can, can pull her up again. And, mm. and, and she, this happens several times mm -hmm. in the whole book. And more than several times, she mentions the quality of her utensils, right? Her, her implements. So I was thinking about, um, this side of the pillar book of Seishonagon, this mm. aspect of it where, with the emphasis on, in a way, the, the ceremony of writing, the importance of good writing implements mm -hmm. and atmosphere. What do you make of that? What, what is that about? It's a difficult question. You know, the first thing that comes to mind is a realization, not particularly original, that I had in graduate school when I was just really getting into the ink, as it were, of modern Japanese literature, which of course required studying <clears throat> the ancient literature as well. And one thing that I remember reading um, essentially had this to say. It said that the idea that you could write a poem and not have beautiful handwriting in the calligraphic tradition was unthinkable. And for someone born so terribly late, you know, you open up these books and even if you've gone through the process of sort of assiduously learning this very difficult language, the ancient form of Japanese, and you read it, you tend to read it in a modern style book with regular font. And of course, like one is thankful for that, but you can begin actually by virtue of that media, of that particular medium, to imagine that the poem has an independent existence, an existence independent of its physical instantiation. Something about modern type just makes you think things are abstractly out there in the world. There's something mm -hmm. about regular font, oddly, which somehow almost triggers a certain almost reflexive Platonism. Yeah, <laughs> that, right. You know what I mean? That there's a sense that, 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 that this poem exists and in every book that it's printed, um, for every one of them that's out there, the sort of reality of that poem, independent of the text, the physical text seems to be more and more convincing, but nothing could be farther from the truth. Um, another scholar um, was talking about how, in addition, of course, to like beautiful handwriting, um, the actual paper that a poem might be written on. And of course, one has to remember that, that the poems um, might be written and then sent to someone else in this particular courtly environment. So it's not as if these poems simply are born outside of a, a particular social context. Mm -hmm. And that social context involves people, very living people, exchanging language, like a little post office, just yeah. sending signals back and forth, um, but not like ones and zeros. Gorgeous, beautiful. Um, you, you could almost imagine, you could almost imagine a badly written poem still being embraced with real relish simply by virtue of the fact that it was so beautifully presented. Yeah, and you have some in the tale of Genji, right? right? So, <laughs> That's right. Yeah, right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Mediocre, aesthetically, or at least in terms of the language, but 
powerful in terms of its effect because the poem, unlike we're trained to think poems are today, um, do have a very profound physical presence. Um, so to get back to the, the question, um, the fact that, that, that Seishonagon can feel herself cheered by receiving a big bundle of paper seems more easy to imagine. One always sort of shudders to think, like, to think sort of too boldly about what someone that long ago was thinking. But I feel like it's safe to imagine that, how to put this, that it must have represented not just, oh, I can write this much, but that all of that paper all the way down meant the possibility of engaging her actual world around her um, through the sort of physical vehicle of, of the paper that on the top of which was going to be, of course, like all the brilliant thoughts that she was then going to be able to commit to record and then distribute um, in a certain way in the world that she lived in. I can only imagine it must have been like, like a giant microphone that, that she could use to engage the world that she was in, which of course was small, like bounded in a nutshell in a certain mm-hmm. way, but of course infinitely huge because what else exists beyond the capital? So, yeah. um, so my sense is that, is that, I mean, to take one pass at the question, I think it may be a question one has to come back to a few times, but, but the physical beauty of the paper seems to me to be, to represent the possibility for, for installing her language into an actual world um, onto which she was going to impose a kind of order, the beautiful order of her mind that you see in the pages of this book. Yeah, no, that's, that's wonderful. So, so I'm thinking about your word Platonism, mm. which, which I found very helpful. You know, so the idea of her, the Platonic idea of the word mm. is, is of a kind of symbolic representation of a thought that one has had that is not material, mm. right? And so then the, the, the idea, the thought, comes first in mm-hmm. that in, in the Platonic and so the Aristotelian awesome. version. Mm-hmm. So that comes first and it's abstract, it's immaterial. Then that finds its way into a sound and then that finds its way into um, writing. Right. right? And so that's the Platonic version mm-hmm. where essentially the word is an unembodied thing mm-hmm. that is uh, sort of abstract as, uh, as unembodied. It's right. kind of like outside the world of sure, body, sure. right? And so, by, and then by some mysterious alchemy, it becomes embodied, <laughs> right? Well, yeah. right. Whereas, whereas in this description of what happens, the word might even happen the moment she sits down mm. with the brush. One imagines, especially yeah. given, given that, given that this is such a precious commodity, um, one, I mean, you sort of shudder to think like what it must have been like to write. I mean, it's not like you have a word process yeah. like you do today mm-hmm. where you can just sort of type away um, into infinite space. I mean, I imagine that a lot of what, um, a lot of the composition process was happening in a very dynamic way in the mind in relationship to the actual act of writing. Again, I can't say much about it because in some ways I'm sort of, I was just born too late to really sort of yeah. imagine what that might have been like. Um, but by way of analogy, I know you're interested in film. Mm-hmm. Um, by way of analogy, there was a, a, a documentary I saw recently where um, before digital cameras, before digital film, people talked, actors, about what it was like to hear the camera begin to whir, that, yeah, right. that sound yes, that begins right. to happen, yeah. because it's literally the sound of capital. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh-huh. It's like you know this is incredibly precious um, because with every whir of the camera, um, money is being spent. Yeah. And how how the actor in this documentary was talking about how it just focused the mind mm-hmm. in a certain kind of way. One imagines something maybe similar yes. might have been the case um, with this bundle of paper. You know, yeah. the idea that you have this precious commodity and to which you're going to commit your thoughts. And with this really intimate engagement with that material, uh, it must have really freighted everything you were saying with a certain kind of importance, certain kind yeah. of value, um, certain performative quality. Yeah, you don't make mistakes. You you certainly avoid yeah. it if you can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know? So tell so tell me about the paper. Oof. Again, 
this is my area was more modern Japanese yeah. literature, so I can't say much about it. Um, but but what I do know is that is that book production ended in very beautiful affairs. So that that I mean, and this is not something that Western culture is entirely a stranger to. Um, you know, these sort of illuminated editions of books. We, yeah. We've seen these um, that have a value as a physical object. Um, and the very beauty of which must have elevated the word in a certain kind of way. Um, you know, you think about, you, you get images of gold leaf in your mind. And, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, really elegantly, precisely rendered letters um, might have, in a way, opposite to the, well, maybe opposite to the, 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 the Platonist direction, somehow like the actual physical um, richness of the text um, maybe gave one a sense that that the language that those letters um, were freighted to carry were as precious, as beautiful, um, as powerful as all the forces, material, economic, social, energetic, that went into actually assembling that object. That's right. Um, yeah. And it, seem, it seems to me that like when you look at the Genji scrolls, um, I mean, you almost, it almost seems like a shame to even read them. Um, they, 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 one can simply look at the book almost in the way that like, maybe you imagine a, a person in her study just sort of admiring the beautiful tones on the wall. Like, um, like Rilke talks about the books that like you haven't read in some sort of foreign language, mm -hmm. like in the sort of strange appeal that they have as objects beyond your understanding in a certain way. One imagines anyway, or at least I do. That that the intense physical beauty of these things um, was maybe not equally stimulating, but comparably stimulating to the actual language within the texts. Yeah. Their actual physical beauty, um, elevating the the mind and heart and soul of the reader, maybe as much as anything actually written there. Yeah, yeah. So so that I'm thinking as you describe me, mm -hmm. I'm imagining as she sits down with brush. And this precious paper, mm -hmm. right, that mm -hmm. the Empress gave her. Um, it's very high stakes, high pressure Indeed. event, right, Indeed. that she, the moment she puts the pen to uh, the pen, the brush to the paper, mm -hmm. uh, it's got to be good. Yeah, that's right. Right. That's and, right. and with her, with her reputation as uh, a female wit and a female poet, right. In the court circles, every man was afraid of her intelligence. That's right. Right. That's right. <laughs> that's right. And uh, she, she knew that mm -hmm. she, of all people, could not slip up. That's right. right. She cannot write anything bad. That's right. She of all people. She of all people. That's right. right. And, and so the, and the presentation. Mm -hmm. So once she's written this thing, it's got to be good. That's right. In fact, it's got to be perfect. I would think. Right. And then, and then she's going to do this, wrap it up, mm -hmm. fold it. Perfectly. That's right. With whatever perfect accessory <laughs> sure. there is to it, a flower right. or a leaf. That's right. And, that's then, right. Uh, and then send it in the perfect way to the right person. I think that's right. Right. Yep. All of that has got to, has got to work. Yeah, the, yeah. Like however the book finds its way to a larger audience, um, you can't imagine it being anything like, you know, sending a PDF off into the cosmos mm -hmm. and hoping for the best. It seems like a very different kind of affair. And the fact that, that she, um, given her sort of very particular social position um, and being a person upon whom upon whom all of these amazing expectations um, rested, I can only imagine that 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 she she in writing this um, felt herself uniquely uniquely um, Privileged, maybe we need a word between privileged and cursed. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, yeah, right. <laughs> between privileged and cursed, mm -hmm. like you have an amazing opportunity to um, to write this document um, at the same time, historically speaking, as this other document is being written, this Chinese text um, that 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 people know at the time is being is being is being composed or being written rather or copied, and um, and then now almost in, in counterpoint to that. Uh, this gift is made of her, where she's going to 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 write a document, a woman not writing in the Chinese tradition. Um, I mean, it just it 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 must have been an awesome responsibility. But clearly, you know, 
centuries by now of um, of scholarship, of fandom, have have testified unambiguously that that she really did rise to the challenge to sort of put into word and to the word made physical um, all the sort of the strange like quiddities of court life. Um, mm -hmm creating this, this, this document that seems to represent the aesthetic, the ethos, the mood of, of Heian culture. Um, I mean, it's astounding. Yeah, yeah. What accounts for her happiness in, 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 in receiving this paper, mm. um, the brush? Well, I mean, don't you think it's interesting in the text that you, mm -hmm. in the part of the text that you read that, that, that on the one hand you have, you have, the possibility of of suicide. Yeah. However, however, it might have been somewhat overdramatized. It might have been somewhat theatrical. It might have been somewhat tongue in cheek, or it may have been quite serious. Um, you know, the language seems to have seems to allow for a range of imaginative possibilities there. But in any event, um, you know that a serious voice is speaking, mm -hmm. whether it's jocular or whether it's deadly serious, literally deadly serious. And you know, on the one hand, you have that. Um, you know, and you think in, in, in our sort of hopelessly modern terms about like, what would be the kind of thing that would, that would lift one's spirits? What would be the thing that, that, that would allow one to go on? Um, you know, Hamlet, like, I, well, I still have to, to kill my father. Like, is that, mm -hmm. <laughs> is that what you, that's what's <laughs> going to get you out of bed? In this particular case, um, paper, which I just can, empty paper. And, and then in the description that, 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 that you read, the passage that you read, um, you know, there's all the talk about the blankness, yeah. which is an amazing thing. Mm -hmm. um, and that somehow that seemed to represent human possibility, a reason to continue living. Um, I mean, all the aspiring writers in the world, um, you can only envy a problem like that, a challenge like that. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm thinking about the the high stakes game of courtly life yes. in the Heian court for a woman. Particularly. Right? It's one false step and you're permanently humiliated. Yes. Right? And so it's, it's unlivable. Your life will be not worth living right. if you look stupid. Not viable. Yeah, or clumsy. That's or, right. You know, so, so she spends the day mm. walking a tightrope. Right. right, various kinds of tightrope. You know, mm -hmm. they're, they're confined to what three rooms, right? right. And yeah. So yeah. three rooms. They don't they don't get to see mm -hmm. uh, men's faces. That's right. Right. The men operate from behind a screen. That's right. That's a little right. bit like kind of Zoom, where they have a black screen, right? So <laughs> right. <laughs> so, right. so you don't. So it looks like a very very confined life, mm -hmm. and uh, and any word that you put out, anything that you put out there into right. public space, is potentially dangerous. Sure. Right. So so. Great risks are yeah, involved right. in any expression. That's right. right. So, so she lives in that world. She seems to like it. Yeah, she yeah. seems to like the challenge. Yeah. So, so I'm thinking, okay, so the Empress, one of the things that struck me mm -hmm. is that the Empress, in a way, is giving her a contest, is, yeah. is saying, okay, do this. But there's, there's a kind of intimacy between Seishanagon and the Empress. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the Empress is the only person that Seishanagon has a crush on. <laughs> and, you know, she's, she doesn't seem that interested in the men. Mm -hmm. She evaluates them objectively. But right. the one person whose opinion that she really cares about is, right. is the Empress. That's right. Right. So, That's and right. I think the Empress knows that. Mm -hmm. um, part of the striking thing about this interchange is that Seishanagon is touched by the Empress's recognition mm. of her emotional needs, right? The mm -hmm. Empress, the Empress gets her. That's right. In That's this. right. But I, I, I think that increases the high stakes, right? She, she, yeah, she yeah. cannot disappoint now. That's right. This, 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 this problem, which could seem perhaps, I mean, probably never a problem like this would seem unreal, um, but must have seemed particularly focused. You know, it, it, it reminds you, it reminds you of of Emily Dickinson in some ways. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, there's, there's, there's in, in her brother's wife, with whom, of course, famously maintains a, a spirited, um, often erotically charged um, exchange of letters um, in a way that, that, that isn't identical to, but helps one imagine maybe right. court life in a sense, a kind of aristocracy, um, you know, a certain exchange, a certain, like, lettered culture and epistolary culture and and 
when you look at those letters between Dickinson and and her dear, dear, dear friend, um, you sort of imagine that maybe she had in her a kind of concretization of of the reader, a sort of person that 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 in relation to whom your own poetic utterances were going to acquire a kind of superhuman focus. I am writing for you in a certain mm-hmm. way. And it's as if the universal were just made incredibly particular. Right. And, and if, I can, if I can, trusting your mind as I do, convey my thoughts to you and by you be understood, then it means that you and I, when we read Dickinson all these years later, can recognize the universal in a certain way because it was so perfectly crafted to such a profound ear. Yeah. And I imagine, again, these are just imaginings. I don't know what actually happened, but, but I find it difficult not to think about the relationship between the Empress and her as being maybe similar. Like, like it is to please this specific person. But of course, that specific person um, is a kind of world historical personality. So one could do a lot worse than to please her. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> you know I mean? yeah. So, so, I mean, I, I, I love the... Uh, connection with Dickinson. Huh. I, I love that because because in Dickinson too, mm. you have the preoccupation with the materiality right, of the right, word, right? right. Those right, right, right. Uh, the the books that have come out recently on mm. mm-hmm. uh, with Emily Dickinson's envelope poems, where you find um, the poems that are written carefully over the envelope. That's uh, right. And, and Paying great respect to say the the three triangles that are on the back of the envelope, That's where right. where you you open the, the the one triangle and and you have a different reading That's and right. see the connections, you know. So so Dickinson like thought also right. very materially about That's it. That's right, and to right down to the minutiae of her mm-hmm. handwriting. Mm-hmm. Okay, so she didn't have Michinoku papers; she had ordinary white papers. Yeah, she had, she we had can't hands. have it all. That's you right, you can't have it all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but she was very fastidious right. about I, I guess the what the 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 hand scratch mm-hmm. uh, handwriting. Yeah, you know such that on the Emily Dickinson website, you mm-hmm. have to have facsimiles That's of right. her manuscripts right. because, because uh, anyone who wants to understand Emily Dickinson has to engage with the materiality. The material. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's absolutely right. Right. So, so in terms of like addressing a particular person, mm-hmm. it's, it's not like texting someone like, or sending an email. <laughs> right. You don't send this, this abstract word. That's right. From your mind to theirs. Exactly. That's, that's not how it works. That's you right. Know? So, um, yeah, it, avo- it, avo- yeah. it avoids this kind of like, like Platonism by Apple. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, it, it's, it's very different. And, you know, you think like one of the poems um, or one of the documents, let's call them, um, famously, um, you know, it says, this is Emily Dickinson writing. And um, this woman is going to, to receive it. And it just says, you know, open me carefully. And there's a clear romantic, erotic sort of notion to this. Like you were going to open this document. I mean, open me carefully. It's so sexy. It, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's right. For lack of a better word, yeah, right. right. It's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, and playful and intelligent and smart. Yeah. Um, risque but tasteful. Um, there's this kind of like charming, plausible denial to it all. Um, it, it's fantastic. And, and I think Dickinson and, and, and her insistence on the physicality of the language um, might be a good way or a good thing to keep in mind um, when trying to to imaginatively reconstruct a world that at least people tell us is as far away from us as Heian Japan is. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe one way to do it. I mean, one wonders, for instance, like, I mean, it seems to me that that Dickinson's insistence on the physicality of, of, I mean, of the embodied, instantiated word, um, say Shonagons as well, that somehow this commitment to, to physicality, I mean, I don't want to over-associate it with the biographical fact, the social fact of each of these writers being women, mm-hmm. but, um, but it, I find it difficult to, to I, I don't find analogs, really. Um, I, I, I struggle to, 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 to 
articulate at all well why it would be that that a number of other writers come to mind. Um, Susan Howe, for instance, where the physicality of the language somehow is important. Um, I don't know why or how to connect that to the peculiar position of a woman um, in the era that any of them lived in. I don't know how what to do with that. However, I cannot shake the idea that there must be some kind of connection. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me that the work and part of the joy of, of, of any of their readers is to sort of get back to that and try to understand yeah. what that actually might be. Yeah, Virginia um, Woolf too. I mean, she was mm. classically uh, interested, even fascinated by ha, the ha, physicality ha. of writing. Ha, ha, ha. And also with her writing implements. You know, is so, that right? Yeah, and probably there are many more like, like yes, that. Yes, indeed. Right? But, but you know, oh, part, of, know part of what I'm thinking, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm wondering about what this says about education. For us, you know, especially like in nowadays, right. uh, and even for us at St. Mm-hmm. John's, you know, mm-hmm. you have uh, very little emphasis on the physicality of the word, right? Sure. The materi- materiality of the word. Um, so, so much so that I'm thinking not just not just in the the physical writing of the word, mm-hmm. but also in the speaking of the word. Huh. You know, and I think I think we all felt that in the Zoom age when we would have. Um, yes, you know, yes. digital seminars. You see the faces on the yes. screen, but there's something you miss by uh, losing the embodiment of the word. You know that, that this is connected. That this right. this word is not floating out there. The, that's right. That's yeah. su- that, that's very interesting. It's it's like the St. John seminar room as as the court in a certain yeah, way, right. right? Where everyone is looking at you. Stakes is high. That's an amazing thing. Like the idea, like you could be reading these things independently if you wanted to. Um, but, but putting writing aside for a moment and just talking about reading and discussing like we're doing yeah. here. Like the idea that, for instance, at St. John's, which of course has this very sort of unusually intense focus on discourse. Mm-hmm. Um, that, I think, maybe resurrects a kind of embodied... Reading and discussing as an embodied practice, um, the sort of social equivalent of physically beautiful paper. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because both of them actually, it turns out to our infinite surprise and then to our infinite shame that we didn't realize it, are actually like the sort of, they're both media. They're both media. And, 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 and the idea that discourse um, in some ways is almost like a kind of paper because, because Paper is a kind of prosthetic memory, no? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a kind of prosthetic. It's going to remember something. And if you're in your room just reading, only you are going to remember that. But it, when you have a group of people, be it in a St. John seminar or be it um, in the Hayon Court, then when people are gathered, there will be a social memory of that event and people will remember it. And somehow that does charge it with a certain kind of Again, the stakes will be high. Yeah, yeah, and and it seems it's not it's not true to say, as some say, that I'm only listening to your words. I'm only listening to your arguments. Right. Like only your arguments, your reasons, mm-hmm. your words—they're the only things that matter. That's just not true. It's just not true, right? So how you say it—that's right. The tone of voice—that's right. How you're sitting in your chair—that's right. What the expression in your face is, where you're looking, right. how you're moving—that's right. Know, all those input, how you lean on the table. All of it. All of it. All of yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, and, and and I mean, brilliantly, the 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 the. Your mentioning Zoom is crucial. I mean, like, like because we all felt this incredible loss. I mean, in a certain way, you feel like, like this technology is amazing, right? I can connect with all of these people, and it's not that you can't. No one's going to deny that 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 um, Zoom hasn't been a boon to all of us, but it's good enough. It's just good enough, mm-hmm. and just lacking enough to actually remind you all that you had before. But weirdly enough, it's almost as if you couldn't have realized how amazing it is to sit here with someone and actually speak and have a conversation Mm -hmm. until you and I are then suddenly sort of prophylactically insulated from one another um, with a screen. Mm -hmm. Um, It's amazing that it changes things as much as it does. But um, you shouldn't be surprised in a certain way because, you know, had I sent... Had I, had I been Dickinson and sent a poem to someone and it was just on some industry standard envelope, as if the only thing that mattered were the, the typed words on the page mm-hmm. or the written words on the page, <clears throat> 
ah, you'd be, you, you, if, if that were all that were at stake, um, we wouldn't be as amazingly impressed as we are by by um, this 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 example that we have in the American context with Dickinson, in the Japanese context with Sei Shonagon of 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 the literature having a kind of richness that it's impossible really to to reconstruct in your mind unless um, you remember the kind of one physical document in which it's been installed, and then the social world around it um, that 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 like some kind of super collider just compresses the language to a perfect point. Um, yeah, yeah it, 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 it's it's hard to it's hard to say it any more clearly, but yeah. but but. Um, this tradition of, of, of women writers, maybe particularly, um, r reminds us of this. Again, though, the, re the reasons why people like Sei Shonagon, um, or not the reasons, but the ultimate significance of the fact that people like Sei Shonagon or Emily Dickinson um, took care to, to create these beautiful works, um, which, which were always mindful of the sort of physical surroundings and mindful of the social surroundings. And somehow that it was in keeping pristinely cognizant of those things um, that they were both able to, to summarize not only with perfect precision the moment that they were in, mm -hmm. um, but somehow to do so in a way that the entire world was illuminated, despite the fact that they were essentially broadcasting from within Hamlet's nutshell. No, there's yeah, there's, there's three, <laughs> three rooms that's in right. Amherst, three that's rooms right. in Hayen Court. That's right. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. No, that's really wonderful. So, so then, in a way, the the act of writing mm. physically, mm. Um, you're saying it's 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 both a kind of material engagement with the world, kind of a bodily engagement with with my world right now, but also my social world, right? So, so it's a it's it's an actualized moment, you right. know, as Dogen might say, yeah, you right know, where, where everything is there, everything yeah. in my world is in the moment I put my my mm -hmm. pen to paper, my brush to paper, that uh, everything's at stake in this. And there's a joy in that, you know, right. so if you have to be fully present. It's true. Right. It's and true. You, you can't be Emily Dickinson if you don't enjoy that. No, no, that's right. Yeah. That's yeah. Or, or require yeah. it in some profound yeah. way. I mean, it's, it's funny. I mean, language, of course, will never be in my, to my mind, um, this, is, this is a sort of barbaric word, but physicalizable. Like language, language, it might sound like a contradiction with what I'm saying earlier, but, but, but I think that impression will fade. It's, it's. Language is still language, and, and, and language is an abstract vehicle. It always will be. But it seems to me that, that um, writing one with a sense of one's social milieu in mind, um, in a way that any good Marxist critic would understand the necessity mm -hmm. for, for instance, right. um, that writing with, with the world in mind, the social dynamics um, that constrain with one's speech and, and the rules of which by hacking in a certain kind of way, um, you're able to articulate something almost in spite of the limitations of the era. By maintaining that kind of worldly mindfulness, um, you know, the America that, that Dickinson lived in um, or, or the Japan that Seishonagon lived in, by, or rather, I shouldn't even say Japan, the, the, the Heian court setting particularly mm. that she lived in, by, by being constrained to articulate that reality in a very concrete way, I think, ironically enough, counterintuitively enough, paradoxically enough, I think that's partly why um, the works achieve a kind of incredible abstract mm -hmm. universality that, mm. um, oddly enough, it's the writers who focus on the social milieu um, and analogously, the writers that focus in some ways or, or, or at least require that their otherwise, again, pristinely abstract language nonetheless be committed to existing in a physical world. Mm -hmm. um, and that, and maybe this is maybe more interesting, that, 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 they actually reject the physical world in a certain way. Because if you were just interested in the physical yeah. world, like the envelope would be enough. 
right? Mm -hmm. the, the pages it is would be enough. But that's not what they actually do. Um, I mean, actually, you, 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 when, when people begin to, to alter the physical world, like there's that ama this is amazing moment. It, it's got to be the most amazing moment in, 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 in Hegel um, where, where he talks about, I think, a boy uh, at the side of a lake. You know, there's the water. And then he throws a stone into it and then watches the concentric circles move out. It, I mean, if the physical world were enough, you would just be staring infinitely into it. But that's not what it is. It's somehow the alteration of the physical yeah. world where you see your own mind reflected in the kind of literal, in that case, turbulence created, this rippling effect, and it goes outward, 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 infinitely, this infinitely sort of expanding concentric circles. I mean, Hegel chose a very nice image to, to, yeah. to um, carry this idea to us in. Um, but in a similar way, these, of course, like incredibly philosophical um, writers like, like Seishonagon or Dickinson, you know, like one imagines that, so when I say that, that, that they're committed to the physical world, it's not that they just are committed to the physical world, which is almost meaningless. Mm -hmm. um, anyone who's actually committed to the physical world, um, be it Seishonagon or be it LeBron James, is interested in doing something that left alone simply wouldn't be possible. So it's the alteration of it, learning how to, 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 to make for example, that 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 the the triangles in the envelope to make those things language like. Um, so, in some sense, you could also look at it as as a kind of um, one wants to avoid the word colonization, but but the, a sort of a sort of um, what's the right word for this? If you think of it, let me know. But <laughs> it, it's it's a kind of um, expansion. Yeah, like a, sp a spilling out. That's like, right. Thank, thank you. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. A kind of yeah. a kind of expansion. Um, of the mind into the physical world because, again, the physical world by itself is mute. Yeah, I'm it's, thinking of the, that feeling of the the ink going into the paper. Uh huh. Right, and then, um, and Seishonagon right. probably would have ground her own yes. ink, right, and whatever the ink comes from from minerals, mm -hmm. tree bark, whatever right. she's using, that's you know, right. so so that that's in powdered form that yeah, she yeah, would yeah. add water to, that mm -hmm. she would mix and stir that whole process. And so she's made it, you know. So so then so then. Elements of uh, that very elemental mm -hmm. thing of pigment, mm -hmm. right? Is 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 here, and she makes it. She makes it speak. Yeah, right? that's right. As it were, you know. So so then, as soon as you have this chemical reaction of right, ink right. on paper, which were like rice yeah. or some other kind of fiber, sometimes a little bit of silk sure. mixed in. So 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 in a way, like the whole <laughs> the whole elemental world can be there yeah, in the right. interaction. But the moment the, the brush meets it, that's and that right. ink kind of start seeping into the paper. That's right. That is, that is, in a way, your soul. I think that's, like, yeah, I think seeping into right. the world, yeah. I mean, it's, it, yeah. it's, it's like, um, you almost imagine a continuum, language qua language, and then these um, substances, the manipulation of which, um, through, through a highly motivated, um, technically and technologically oriented mind altering these substances so that they become vehicles of speech. In some ways, it is turning the physical word into a letter. Uh-huh. It, it, it is turning the physical word into, you know, L. And, it, and, and suddenly, and when you see ink, I almost imagine um, it being like a kind of proto-word, you know, a kind of L. Like on the verge of utterance. And, and, and she carries that other, what otherwise would have been a perfectly mute, mindless nature. Um, although, of course, like when you recall animistic traditions, there may be limits to that particular characterization. But nonetheless, that that, that physical substance, the ink, um, or in a painterly tradition like aquamarine, uh, that all these things like were the beginning of someone saying something already. You know what I mean? Right. So right. you imagine in some sense the preparation to articulate something poetically in the preparation of the substances. And again, I feel like this is so historically removed from where we are at um, that it's hard, it's hard to get a sense of, of the significance of that. Yeah, it's like it's kind of the rich, it's kind of, like, it's kind of ritual preparation right. whereby that it allows 
things in your subconscious to cue up. That's right. Right. And so I think that's right. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Preparing for the moment, allowing right. it to open. That's right. And, yeah. and 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 to think that 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 all of this writing might not have been as successful as it was ultimately, um, but for that. Now, of course, as readers, we don't particularly have access to that. Um, we can only imagine it on the basis of the physical and poetic evidence. You know, sort of forensically, we can kind of reconstruct what it what it must have been like. But I think anyone at the time would have understood this: um, that that the the actual physical implements are already talking; they're already kind of um, lyrically alive. Mm-hmm. And and I mean, because if that you know what, if that weren't the case, how could a bad poem still be beautiful? Yeah, you know what I mean. Right. Like, like you know, and other, otherwise, I mean, doggerel might be too strong a word, but but a poem that's otherwise fairly lackluster um, might have been sort of quaint or almost adorable for the fact, cute, like like for like for the fact that it's like you know not such a great thing, but Lord, look at the 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 sort of beauty of the document. Um, if language were enough, uh, or if language were all, the only important thing. Um, that wouldn't be possible. Yeah. So by language, you mean logos in a way that language, you're yeah, suggesting yeah. language isn't just logos. Interesting. That's yeah, right. In a yeah. surprising way, right? Yeah. It's, it's like, um, oh, this is, yeah, it's, 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 this is difficult to put into words. Um, but yes, it, 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 it's like there is something, you could almost say like, like both of these writers' commitment to the physical world when they were writing was logical. <laughs> you know what I mean? It makes sense that they would have, um, charge these materials with that kind of energy because in some sense the material world um was already as if speaking to you already was as if um freighted with the power to become letter like yeah yeah um and i think they just carried i think they just took what was already a letter and then spun it out calligraphically into full words you know and into the kind of poetry that we have today and when you get that of course in like a modern book form um you lose that and so you know but of course, if you if you are here with you and talking about it, or if you're in a St. John seminar and and you're you're reading over this, um, or you're reading Euclid or whatever you're reading, um, and then you 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 recall for a second like what this would have been like, or if you think about Socrates and philosophy, like you imagine like you know like philosophy as a kind of I mean, like a kind of like street based, yeah, right, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, like something that actually happens in this social space um that that the reconstruction of that i think in some sense is almost part of like a liberal arts education yeah like the, the socratic dialogue That's right, right. which does not take place in a social vacuum right. you know you have to know what the stakes are That's for right. these people you have to know who they are you have to know why Socrates might be talking to them like this. You have to know That's why right. they might not be saying certain things. That's right. Right. So That's it's, right. A, it's an aliveness to the whole situation. Yeah. yeah. It's, right. You have to, you have to sort of almost reanimate, um, you have to sort of reanimate those things. I mean, yeah. because like, to read a book in any other way would almost be like, like to say you're going to sit down and watch a, a watch a movie and no one turns on the projector. Right. I mean, it's, right. it, it's that bizarre. Yeah. So, well, yeah. Or, you know or, I mean? to, or to read a musical score and never hear it performed. That's right. right? That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's but, a better analogy. Yeah. Right. But do you think, do you think mm. that something fundamental is missing then in, say, modern liberal arts education when people do not have this engagement with oh, writing implements, with writing materials? That's interesting. Right. So, you know, mm. some, I have it on, I have it on good authority. I mean, I, if you were anything like me, it's galling, like like how amazing your average French essayist is. <laughs> you know what right. I mean. And you hear about the sort of educational training um, to which they were submitted or subjected, rather. Um, now, I'm not just to be perfectly clear. I'm not saying that like St. John's needs to like start having like timed essays. <laughs> I'm really right. not. Um, what the modern contemporary solution to this kind of lacuna would be, um, I. I, I I'm, I can only I can, I can only confess ignorance. I don't know what would be the answer to this, but um, but I think one could do worse than, um, for instance, to 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 write an essay, to collect her thoughts using like you know the ultimate word processor. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like like like, and there's something about, and also like I mean, this is sort of an aside, but 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 you know. Like when I pick up this pencil here, you know, this is a black wing. 
and I know there's a kind of cult of the black wing among among some St. John's students. I start I'm seeing them more more and more appear in my seminars and classes. A cult, a cult stuff. It's a bit of a you. yeah. yeah <laughs> and I, you know, someone said that um, that that um, that Nabokov wrote with him, and so you know, you pick it up and you think to yourself, like, ah, this is amazing. Like, you know, I'm writing with Nabokov. There, you know, you, but you but there is a certain kind of thing that happens when you pick up in, implements that feel charged and that 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 invest the intellectual, the writing project with a certain kind of majesty. Um, you know, like that actor hearing the cameras were like, okay, now we're, we're about to do something serious here. And somehow like the physical object itself seems to bring that out of you. Um, now in a similar way, you know, if you, if you have an hour and it's timed to write an essay and you have to collect your thoughts in a way where not too much editing is possible because with a pencil and paper, it's like you can't do that in quite the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, you get the sense that that um, the stakes involved in an essayistic utterance, like the stakes involved in a painterly utterance, like the stakes involved in speaking in front of all of your peers, that all of that gains a kind of focus and a kind of clarity um, by virtue of having certain constraints, mm-hmm. um, temporal, physical, and... Um, and so, so there is something it seems to me missing in 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 really. It's not even just education; like sort of modern life in general. We are getting farther and farther away from a certain kind of analog richness. Now, part of that's fine, you know what I mean. Um, but but you do you do know somehow that 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 our commitment to the infinite scroll of a Microsoft Word document or any electronic word processor. Um, the, the fact that it just allows you to continue on and that, that there's no limitation at all um, upon what you actually are about to write, whatever the advantages of that might be, um, the digital world is not giving you a sense of constraint. It's not giving you a sense um, of limits. And, and of course, like any limit should remind you of your own mortality in a certain way. And somehow when you're writing on a word process, you just think you have all the time in the world or you have all the space in the world. Whereas um, you imagine like, um, you know, when Foucault is becoming like the great essayist that he was, that, you know, when he's taking these exams or whatever he's doing, um, that 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 kind of compression um, is inextricable from the sort of amazing elegance that you often see um, produced in, in, in that generation of writers. And I think we've lost a bit of that. Yeah. Well, thank you. That mm-hmm. might be a perfect place to yeah. end. Uh, thank you very much for, for nothing. This has been a, pl- this this been a, real been a pleasure. Okashi conversation. <laughs> okay. Thank Absolutely. you for nothing. Thank you so much. Continuing the conversation is a twenty-episode web and podcast series produced by the St. John's College Communications Office in partnership with Twelve FPS and a Warehouse Productions. To continue the conversation with St. John's College, which offers a bachelor's degree in liberal arts, in-person and online master's degrees in liberal arts and Eastern classics, as well as summer academy for high school students and summer classics for lifelong learners, go to sjc.edu.